Our text this this evening is James 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set set among our members, staining the whole body, Set on fire, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Before we begin, let's pray together. Our blessed God and Father, we know that your words are the only pure words. And we thank you that uh, though we are full of imperfect words, you have given us your perfect word. Bless us with your spirit this evening so that we would understand the things that you have revealed to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On June 4th, 1940, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill gave a famous speech during World War II. In it, he said, We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. I'm sure many are familiar with those words, as they're quoted everywhere. But these words encouraged a country in the midst of much difficulty not to lose heart. They were words that inspired bravery and integrity in the country. Now contrast that with these words. Anti-Semitism, however, must lead to a systematic legal oppression and elimination of the special privileges which Jews hold. In contrast to the other aliens living among us, its final objective must unswervingly be the removal of Jews altogether. These words were spoken by Adolf Hitler. It was horrific language like this, repeated again and again in propaganda throughout the country, that led Hitler to persuade a whole country in the dehumanizing of millions of Jews, eventually leading to 
the atrocities such as the Holocaust. And the first quote from Churchill was one of encouragement for a whole country at war to bravery and to fighting for what was right. And the second, by Hitler, was an example how, of, how his words and, I, and ideas changed a whole country's view of a group of people, that is, the Jews. Now, it's clear from speeches like these and others that our words have incredible power. They not only have incredible power to unite, but on the other hand, they are capable of great destruction. Nowadays, the lives and reputations of people can be completely destroyed because of one or two words. Intolerant, racist, sexist, whatever. Either said in the wrong way or in the wrong context, I'm sure we've seen plenty of examples. Our words spoken with our tongues, have great power for both building up and for destroying. Isn't it interesting that our tongues, as such small objects, carry such great power? Of course, with such great power comes the difficulty of keeping the tongue under control. Now, as you turn to our text, it's this very difficulty of keeping our speech under control that James focuses on. As we will see, it is of vital importance that, as Christians, we ought to seek to tame our tongues. Chapter 2, the section right before this, talks of faith without works is dead. Now, it might seem a little bit that James is kind of changing subjects here, but... This section on the tongue is really a a building off of the previous section. Because isn't it often the case that those who pretend to follow Christ are the ones quick to boast of great things with their mouths? Think of the Pharisees, those who would make long prayers in front of other people in order to be heard. Or it's like the man in James 2.15 who says, with words only... To the one poorly clothed and lacking in food, go in peace and be warmed and filled, but he does nothing for the physical needs of the person. Isn't it the case, more often maybe than we would like, that our tongues reveal a divide between what we say we believe and how we actually live? It is our tongues that can boast of great things, and yet our lives don't match up. As James points out that faith without works is dead, not that our works have the ability to save us, but that our actions reveal the state of our faith. So also, our tongues reveal the state of our hearts. Therefore, as true Christians, we, true Christians will seek to tame their tongues. True Christians will seek to tame their tongues. Now that this won't be done completely on this side of heaven, just as we will not completely put all of our sins to death on this side of heaven, but is there evidence of growth in the taming of your tongue? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to your friends? To your children? What do you post on social media? 
It's good to reflect on our words. Because like we said, as true Christians will seek to tame their tongues. As we walk through this passage, James gives us two reasons Christian, Christians ought to tame their tongues. First, we seek to tame our tongue because of its great power. And second, we seek to tame the tongue because of the destruction that can be caused by it. And then we'll answer the question, how do we go about taming our tongues? So first, we seek to tame the tongue because of its great power. In verses 1 to 5, James is emphasizing the great power that the tongue has. Though our tongues are one of our smallest members, they're one of our most powerful members. And James shows us that the power shows us the power of the tongues with two illustrations. These two comparisons emphasize that the tongue has uh, has the power to exercise dominion over the whole of our life. He first compares it to a bit in the, in the mouth of a horse. Of course, the, the bit in a horse's mouth controls the whole body of the animal. And without it, an untamed horse is a ferocious animal. Maybe you've seen the books or read, or, uh, seen the books. Uh, if you've read the books or seen the movies of The Lord of the Rings... You'll recall many scenes where you have these horses charging in through enemy lines. Think of the riders of Rohan coming in and charging through these enemy lines. And these fierce horses come charging through with great speed and strength. And they're controlled by just a tiny bit in the mouth of the horse. These small bits have the power of bringing this whole ferocious animal into subjection. Then, in a similar way, he gives an example of a great ship. And it's how it's directed by such a small rudder wherever the will of the captain chooses. Again, this similar analogy, maybe you've been on a a cruise ship, ones that now have malls and movie theaters and water parks on board. These massive ships, as we know, are controlled by a comparatively small little rudder that you don't usually see, but you feel its effects so also, as these small objects have such great power, so do our tongues. They are such small members and out of proportion to their size have such great power to both build up or to destroy. And it's no surprise that our tongues have such great power. When we reflect on the fact that we were made in the image of God... Is it not God who spoke the world into existence and who upholds it by the word of his power? In a small way, but significantly, we reflect God with the power of our tongues. And yet with this great power of the tongue, it makes it very difficult to control. In fact, James says in verse 8 that no human being is able to tame the tongue, except, of course, for the Lord Jesus himself. Why is that? Why is it so difficult for us to tame our tongues? Well, James answers 
in verse 2, saying that we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. We are sinners. And as such, we wield the power of our tongues as sinners. We speak in a way that reflects our inner nature. As Jesus himself says in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We cannot help to speak out what is within. It's like the delightful uh, morning breath that you have. Some of you, maybe worse than others, it doesn't matter how well you brushed your teeth the night before, No matter what you say, your spouse and your kids will be still smelling the sweet aroma of your breath in the morning. You cannot help giving off what is within. Or again, think of a a cop pulling someone over for drinking and driving, and the cop walks up to the, the side of the car, and the person rolls down the window, and immediately he knows that the person has been drinking. He can smell the alcohol on his breath. Because what is true on the inside, permeates the air around him. So also, as sinners, our tongues breathe out what is true of our hearts. If it's rottenness inside of us, the power of the tongue will reveal that. If it's the good fruit of the gospel, then the tongue will be like a well-functioning bits in the mouths of horses or well-functioning rudders in the back of ships. Now, as James says, the ability to bridle the great power of the tongue is a mark of Christian maturity. Because this man is able to control his whole body. The one who can control their tongue is the one who can control themselves. I wonder how the battle to tame the tongue or to sanctify your speech is going. Maybe some of you have not even considered that there is a battle to sanctify your speech. It's like dressing up all fancy for a party, and you have your best suit on, or your best dress on, but you have this massive piece of pepper stuck in your teeth, and everybody notices except for you. So also, maybe you do all the Christian things, you come to church and and Bible study and Christian school and all of these things, but you have rottenness in your speech and everyone around you notices except for you. If you were to go back and listen to your conversations with your wife, with your children, your friends, your co-workers, your posts on social media, how would they sound? Are your words gracious, seasoned with salt, Or are they destructive and divisive? Again, our our words reflect what is true of our hearts. Both our internal speech, thoughts, and our external speech are controlled by the conditions of our hearts. The bridling of the tongue is a mark of true Christian maturity. And your words are a great mirror to see the reflection of your spiritual condition. 
Do your words reflect the speech of a follower of Christ? Because of the great power of our tongues, they are particularly difficult to control. And this is why James gives such a stern warning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for we know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. This is the reason that not many should seek professions in the church that centers around the the use of the tongue. Teachers put themselves in a greater danger of judgment because the main tool of their ministry is the tongue. And it's the one that's the most difficult to control. And this teaching is in line with Jesus' words when he says in Luke 12, 48, that to every, everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. Teachers in the church are entrusted to use the power of their tongues to teach and to preach the whole counsel of God to his people. And James is telling his audience that this is not something that is to be pursued lightly because of the particular, particularly difficult difficulty it is to control the tongue. Now as true as that is for teachers... It's also true for us that where there are more words, there are often more errors. We are not fully sanctified people and we wield the power of such a great object. So therefore we must seek to bridle our tongues. Second, We seek to tame our tongues because of the destruction caused by the tongue. Now we just saw that there is a disproportionate power of the tongue related to its size. And such a small object has such great power. Now James now also warns us that this small member can cause great destruction. Now as Bits and rudders are small things that can be used for great purposes disproportionate to their size. So also... The tongue can cause great damage disproportionate to its size. Listen to the way James describes the tongue in verse 6. He calls it a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is something that stains the whole body. It is the red sock in the wash of white clothes. The sock turns all the white clothes to a pinkish white. Something so small can pollute so much. So our tongues can stain our whole bodies with only a few words. And we know this from experience. A few small words can render someone a hypocrite among those who hear us. Think of Peter in his trial before the servant girl while Christ was on trial before the Sanhedrin. It was one small phrase repeated three times. I do not know the man. Instantly, those around Peter who saw him with Jesus would have rendered him a hypocrite. He had followed Christ for the past few years, but in a a few small phrases, he denied all of it. Isn't it wonderful that there's grace for us in Christ for our own hypocrisy? As he restores Peter He can restore the damage that we have done with our tongues. And James goes on 
to describe the tongue as something that sets on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The tongue is set on fire by hell itself. As Calvin describes it, that fire sent by Satan is most easily caught by the tongue so that it immediately burns. In short, it is a material fitted for receiving, fostering, and increasing the fire of hell. In other words, our tongues are the best tool for spreading the venom of hell sent by Satan himself. Think back to to Genesis 3. Was it not the poison of Satan's deadly words in the garden that caused our first parents to sin? Did God really say, you will not surely die, but you will be like him? It was the subtlety of his poisonous words that, that turned sin into something desirable. Now, according to verse 8, our tongues are full of this deadly poison as well. It is the the restlessness of our own tongues that can lead us to say biting words that inject the poison of bitterness and and anger and, and jealousy and a whole host of sins into those who hear us. In other words, whether we are speaking to our spouse or family member, blogged about online or posted on social media, Our tongues have the potential for great damage and division. With the explosion of the internet, we now have the capability to publicly use our words to dump gasoline on an already fiery situation. It's true that there is no situation so bad that your words cannot make worse. How are you using your tongue? Is it used for for building up or for Tearing down. James uses another example to show the disproportionate damage our tongues can have. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You may remember uh, the forest fires that took place last year in 2020 in California. Seeing the images of people driving down the interstates and whole walls of uh, of these mountains and these hills were just ablaze. And then every, everything after that being turned to charcoal and ash. It was a devastating scene. Do you know how one of these great fires was started? It was a spark from a small firework at a gender reveal party. What started out as something playful and and fun led to an enormous amount of destruction. And what a similar picture we have with our tongues. We even have the saying that rumors spread like wildfire. You may may think that this is just a little lie or or slander spoken to a friend. Isn't, Isn't that bad? Or even that a little passive-aggressive words might actually be helpful because then maybe they'll pick up on my frustration. Or kids in the room, you know that when your brother or sister calls you a mean name, it doesn't feel good. It hurts. We may never know the damage that can be caused by the carelessness of our words. 
As one commentator puts it, the sad thing is that we have tongues that take more pleasure in idolatry than in doxology. We often have tongues that take more pleasure in idolatry more than doxology. Now the poison of the tongue goes further to include a sort of dualism or or a doubleness of the tongue. Verse 9 says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in His likeness. On the one hand, we we bless God, yet on the other hand, we, we curse those who are made in His image. How can, he asks in verse 10, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing? How can the same mouth sing praises to God on Sunday and yet curse his neighbor during the week? What words do you say about someone when their name is mentioned in a conversation or on social media? Do you find yourself slandering others, even if the person is a brother or sister in Christ? can see that so prominent in our social media age. Even with all the political tensions and the craziness going on, how do you speak about others who bear the image of God? Do we come and, and bless God on Sundays and yet curse those made in His image throughout the week? Now, I want to make an important distinction here as well. It's clear that in our world, we have many of the idea that the tame tongue means that I never offend or I never reprove or correct anybody. So we may hear this sermon and walk away thinking, I must never say anything that is going to offend anybody. Good luck, right? But if we reflect at all on the scriptures, we know that that's not the case. For example, how can James in the very next chapter turn around and call this people an adulterous people for trying to be friends with the world and friends with God? Where's the tamed tongue, James? Or what about Jesus in Matthew 23, speaking of the scribes and Pharisees, calling them hypocrites and children of hell, blind guides, blind fools, whitewashed tombs? Or when the Sadducees come out Or sorry, when the Pharisees and Sadducees come up, when John is baptizing, he calls them a brood of vipers. Doesn't all that seem a little bit harsh? It almost seems like evidence of an untamed tongue. But there's a distinction between a rebuke and a curse. A curse is an assault on a person only for the sake of harming. The one cursing cares nothing for the holiness of God and the repentance of the other person. Rather, it's out of anger or or rage that insults are flung. It's like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It's out of anger that brash insults Come, which are only meant to destroy. It's like saying your 
You're dead to me. You mean nothing. A curse is always out of place. Now, on the other hand, a rebuke calls sin for what sin is on the authority of God's word. This doesn't mean that we need to use kind of fluffy language to describe sin. It is said, but a, but a rebuke is said out of a love for the holiness of God and even a hope of repentance for the other person. A rebuke stands on the authority of God's word to correct rather than anger or pride in oneself. A curse is like a sword that is used to kill and destroy and a rebuke is like a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon. Though it cuts, its goal is to bring healing and correction. The righteous tongue that is used to bless God can also be the righteous tongue that brings rebuke. Now, this may seem like a fine line, and it it really is. We therefore ought to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Lastly, how do we control the tongue? You may be thinking, this is all well and good, but what do I do? James just says in verse 10, my brothers, these things ought not be so. That is, there should not be this doubleness or dualism in our speech. We should not bless God on one hand and curse those made in his image on the other. Now as we read back in chapter 1, verse 26 of James, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So how do, we, how do we do this? How do we tame the tongue? Now James doesn't give us three, a, a three-step process of how to accomplish what he's warning against. In fact, there are many times in Scripture where there is not this three easy steps to put your sin to death section. With that said... Let me give you five ways to control the tongue. Not necessarily looking at chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, but looking at the book of James as a whole. So first, chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you do not know how to navigate a certain sin that you're struggling with, particularly the tongue. James tells us to ask the Lord for wisdom. Friends, as powerful as our tongues can be in destructive profanity, they can also be used in powerful petitions. Second, chapter 1, verse 14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. As we have seen, our Sin comes from what's true on the inside. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. What words are you filling yourself with? Does your speech reflect the pure water of Scripture? Or does your speech just reflect a heart that is starved of Scripture? Do you let 
your bitterness and anger fill your heart. Then expect bitter and angry words to pollute your speech. We should be watchful of what we're filling our hearts with. Third, chapter or uh, chapter 1, verse 19 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We ought to be quick to listen, and listen carefully to others, and slow to speak. Do you always desire to be the first one to share your thoughts on a situation? Because it's often said we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. He also says, slow to anger. Our speech should not be driven by anger. Fourth, chapter 2, verse 12 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Do you speak as one who has been forgiven in Christ? As one whose speech is full of grace, full of, full of the grace that we've received ourselves? Is your speech gracious? Fifth, and lastly, we ultimately need a renewed heart. If it's the heart that is connected to the tongue, and from the abundance of our hearts that our mouth speaks, then we need a new heart. And apart from Christ, a dead, stony heart will make itself known in its speech. Often, the first things others notice about a new Christian is that they, don't, they, they sound different. They don't talk like they used to. It's in Christ alone who did not stumble in one word who can give us a new heart that overflows in new speech. We must start here if we desire to make any progress in taming the tongue. So friends, our, our tongues have great power for both blessing and cursing for both building up and tearing down. As a great forest can be set ablaze by such a small fire, so our tongues can set on fire the entire course of life. And so let the forest of this world be set on fire by the gospel that is on our lips. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need you every hour to help us fight our sin, particularly the sins coming from our tongues. If we must give an account for every idle word that we have spoken, then we stand condemned. But if by our words we shall be justified, and by our words we shall be condemned, then woe to us. As with a horse's bridle, help us to restrain our mouth that we are not quick to utter whatever comes into our head, but help us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Let our speech always be full of grace, and that the truth of your words never depart from our mouths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.